Hey, Gavin. Hi, Louie. Hey, audience. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who are on the special upgrade Patreon yeah. tier, you're seeing us video right now. Live. Oh, have you not heard of the secret upgrade Patreon tier? Um, uh, it doesn't exist. It so. doesn't exist, but all you have to do is Google um, Mark Ruffalo nudes. Yes. <laughs> and there we are. So crazy. I, I will say, and this is not to drag any other podcast, but honestly, I've been doing independent podcasts since 2011, and I've never, ever asked people for money. And I, every time I, I hear it on a podcast, I'm like, you can't afford, you can't afford the $10 a month for hosting. You know what? It weirds me out like that this, I mean, this is beyond a different conversation, but like, everything is like paid for now you know like yeah. that's just like the culture like health absolutely like we're at we ask everyone for like everything, everything. yeah and it's like no shade but, like i know that, people who like go online to like get help to pay for their bills i know and, like, uh, I, and it, it bums me out not because they not because they're doing it but because they feel like they have to do it because they're a lot of times backed into a corner yeah it's so it's weird. It takes away some of the joy. I will say my goal in life is to be just likable enough that people will pay for my medical expenses <laughs> if something, God forbid, happens. Well, Gavin, you're not likable at all. I know. So That's breaking news. Trust me. <laughs> oh, I'm <know>. aware. <laughs> some people don't know. Some you people know? don't know. They do not know. They do. I've worked with all of them. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the Mixed Reviews. Where, do, do you want to say what we are? Well, I was going to say, do we ever introduce ourselves? Oh, no, I don't think we ever have. We just say hi to each other. Yeah, we, oh, we say hi, Gavin, hi, Louie. Yeah, yeah. I was, well, we can do that. No, I don't care. Well, um, well I'm going to do it now. Okay. Okay, my name is Gavin Mevius. I'm a professional editor of 11 years, and uh, <laughs> I have a, I'm have a film appreciator and lover, and I work in the industry. So, uh, In the industry? In the industry. Well, my name is Luis Rendon, if you're nasty. Ooh. Um, but everyone calls me Louie, and... Um, I'm like a journalist of 10 years now. Yeah. Oh, kill me. Um, but don't. And I just like movies because they're fun and cute. Yeah. And yeah, we take two weeks, pick a subject, watch as much as we can, come back, pick our favorite, our least favorite, get a little history, herstory on the subject, and um, hopefully engage with you guys, have some fun um, talking about interesting people. Absolutely. Who we give money to and who we make famous. And the other fun thing that we do that I really like is I feel like we oftentimes talk about a side of these, you know, actors, directors, actresses, filmmakers that people don't often get to see, um, whether we're talking about their charity work or political views or personal life. Uh, our goal is not to tear down, but to illuminate. Mm. Let's do some old business. First things first, I do have a correction. <gasps> In our Antonio Banderas episode, which was our last episode, I called Antonio Banderas Latino. He is not. It's very true, because he's Spanish. He is Spanish. Um, coming out of my mouth, I sound extra stupid. Um, but Did I agree with you? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, I'm a dummy, folks. We're all dummies. Um, but yeah, so he's Spanish, so he's white. Latino means you come from a Latin American country. Such as Mexico, Venezuela, all those fun things south of the border. Yeah. Um, Penelope Cruz and like uh, Javier Bardem, all of them, they're Spanish. So they are Hispanic. Yes. And not Latino. Just so everyone knows. Um, thank you to my friend Jimmy who pointed it out to me. 
And you know, he, that, that's the only person that corrected us. So good job, Jimmy. <laughs> like, for, I, now I feel now I feel very self conscious about it. So thank you, Jimmy. And for the rest of you idiots, yeah. <laughs> keep us on our toes. Absolutely. Anything else? Don't correct us on. Yeah. Anything? Any other factual yeah. stuff though? Do nope. not come for me. Honey. We do not want to hear it. Um. But speaking of Antonio, that was our last episode. We asked you guys to go to Twitter and vote on your favorite movie. Um. Two percent voted for "Time Me Up, Time Me Down." I feel like maybe not enough people have watched it. Yes, and and I do feel like that happens often. And yeah. I I highly recommend if you've not seen "Time Me Up, Time Me Down." It's on the Criterion yeah collection channel thing. Yes, absolutely, and it's very enjoyable. Very so. enjoyable. The Mask of Zorro and other both got twenty four percent, and Pain and Glory came in at fifty percent, which was both of our picks. Um, people seem to really really love that movie this that he's currently in yeah um he just picked up an award at like i don't know the gotham awards or something yes uh for best actor and also i think new york film critics circle also gave him which i saw some dissent about they were like oh he's the least interesting part of that movie um excuse me that's a lie that's a lie i've never been so yeah you can uh see yourself out um but we had people who voted for interview with a vampire um the skin i live in yes the Law of Desire. Yeah. Um, Avita, which I thought I was, was shocked. We got two outlier votes for Avita, and I was like, I don't think they listened to the episode. Ooh. Which is fine. Um, I, and it's funny because I... <laughs> maybe I just have not interacted with Avita enough, because I think a lot of my disdain actually comes from the music itself. Um, but I think there's also that... St- I mean, I love a good musical. I'm a theater girl, but I think uh, that particular style kind of rubs me the wrong way but it's all fine and good real quick before we move out of old business because i've been threatening to do this for weeks Mm. if you do go to apple podcasts and leave us a five-star review you can also write us a review and i always promise to read them on the show and then i do a bad job at actually doing that so we have three they're brief i'll get to them the first is from chels and they say quality content five stars I'm Tech Avail for Audrey Hepburn and or Lily James episode. Wow. Tech Avail. Good. Good. And like a professional woman. Way to sell yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, From Murtada E, who is a former guest. Yes. We love Murtada. Uh, Fun and informative. Doesn't shy away from the reverent parts of their subject's history. Format favors great discussion. And Luis and Gavin's banter chemistry is off the charts. Mm. Yeah. Good banter. I love a good chart. And from Jess, we have Obsessed. Five stars. Such a perfect podcast. Luis and Gavin are both so enjoyably witty and informative. You end each episode with a great history of the chosen topic and a desire to dive further down the rabbit hole and watch literally every movie they mentioned. Can't recommend listening to it enough. Five stars. Oh, thank you guys so much. Absolutely. Chels, Jess, Murtada, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for rating and reviewing. Yeah. Um, we don't do this show without... Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's... it's. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, oh my God, this show is hard to do just because we want to feel prepared and like we watch yes. enough of things. Um, but um, if it's it's just hard. It's just yeah. hard to find time to watch um, as much as we, we do. We both have full-time jobs. Yeah, it's crazy like living in this capitalist society where we have to like work to live. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but, you know, we both love watching movies. Absolutely. And I'm glad that we are doing this and people are listening and engaging with us and um so thank you guys for writing in absolutely let's start 
the episode. Absolutely. I keep saying absolutely. I realize that's a tick of mine. I, I need to cut down on it. Uh, so, who's our subject this week, Louis? My, my, my. We're talking about Mr. Mark Ruffalo, oh. honey. Oh. oh, is it hot in here? No, it's just oh. Mark Ruffalo. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely Mark Ruffalo. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we, uh, it's funny. We So, I don't know if you guys have noticed, our last two episodes, or this episode and our previous one, are, were, were men. We've been trying to, you know, we've been, we have that fun thing of like, just like loving doing women. We love, we're obsessed with our yeah. actresses. We, we love doing, um, it's a very queer trait. Yes. I, I feel like yes. that's, and so it's always hard for us to kind of like, oh, I guess we should do a man. I know. And I, I literally, every time I talk to my friend Andrea about uh, the show, she's like, Oh, remember when you did Michael Douglas and just talked about how privileged he is? So I get it. When we do men, it's a little difficult. That's why we try and pick men that, that don't feel that michael douglas mold though i will i had fun that episode so. um and but we so we, we when we came across antonio banderas we we're like yes we have to do it we love he kind of radiated that same energy um when we decided to do mark ruffalo as as antonio banderas it was like oh a guy we were, can you get excited about yeah um <laughs> very excited very excited yeah put it um, away and also <clears throat> i think he's had like a kind of a, a way more interesting career than i thought he had yes um a lot of like kooky little '90s movie things that um, I hope we get to, um, and then now he's in this like really uh, he he like swings now between Marvel mode and like Oscar mode. Yeah, you know, and that does seem to be his main his main you know the pendulum swings back and forth. It is so weird <laughs> that he's in the Marvel movies. I know, but he, I mean, I think like his number one superpower is this like all-out charm offensive oh absolutely he just like radiates um easygoing affable um g shucks yeah stud i was gonna say if uh you listen to last week's episode and i said the thing i like about young antonio banderas is i feel like he'd be nice to me yeah oh my god i feel like mark ruffalo's in that mold as well so nice like i feel like he's like would meet would be like kiss you on the cheek nice like absolutely yeah just a gentleman. A tr- true gentleman. A gentleman of the screen and stage. Um, has he been on the stage? Yes, many times. Great. Love that. Um, don't back with Chitty. Um, yeah, and so we are talking about him because he has a new movie out right now called Dark Waters. Yes. Um, with Miss Anne Hathaway. But beyond that, you know, I think most people now would just be like, oh, it's the Hulk. Yes. Um, yeah, I think he's in the popular culture as Bruce Banner. I mean, bar- barely even Bruce Banner. Right. I feel like people just think of him as the Hulk. Yeah, and it's crazy because now we have the technology where, like, literally the Hulk does look like yeah. him. You know, the previous Hulks did not look like Eric Bana, did not look like Edward, Edward Norton. Norton. No. Um, but he looks like yeah. the Hulk now. Um, and I believe during Avengers Endgame, there was a lot of talk of Daddy Hulk. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. This was the first time we got, like, him being the Hulk having like yeah the personality of mark ruffalo which was like yeah it's like hold me green giant there's some fanfic out there let oh. me tell you <laughs> get yourself to deviant art quick <laughs> the whole cast the whole cast yeah oh the whole cast <laughs> so anyways I mean, I, I I don't know if that should stress enough why we're doing Mark Ruffalo, but I think he's a very worthy subject and an yeah. interesting person to dig into. Well, yeah, I mean, because, like I said, I don't know. Do you think people know how vast his career has actually been? No, and how 
complicated his right. career has been, which we'll get into. But right. when you think he's had obstacles in a way that you would not expect right. a handsome, charming, you know, white man to have. What do you think? Like, if we didn't, if you took away the Avengers movies, what would be like your go-to like Mark Ruffalo performance? Like, or like thing that people would know? Right. Would I it guess, be kids all right? I guess it's the kids are all right. I genuinely, as soon as you said that, my first thought was the kids are all right. And I mean, because I guess that was like, and it's kind of funny we say that because <laughs> that movie was Oscar, um, Beatty, whatever, but didn't really win anything, did it? No. I mean, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for right. it, but. but and, and then I just realized Spotlight, yeah. a movie that did win Best Picture. He was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Also nominated, but somehow the performance, or at least the movie, The Kids Are All Right, stands the test of time, I think, better. Right. I, I like Spotlight a lot, but I think as far as like a cultural touchstone, um, it just doesn't live up to um, the kids all right because that was such like a moment in culture and um, uh, so yeah, it's interesting to think of like the Avengers and the big behemoth that that is next to his maybe next best known thing, which is this little lesbian movie. <laughs> yes. Um, so so yeah, excellent, great. Gavin, take me into the rewind. Mark Ruffalo, we do not know mm. his middle name, mm-hmm. if he has one. Okay. Just saying. He's a mystery. He is a mystery. Wrapped in an enigma. Was born November 22nd, 1967. He is born in Kenosha, Wisconsin, don't you know? Oh my god, I love yeah. that. I used to live in Milwaukee. I, did I know that? I feel like I know everywhere you've lived, but not Milwaukee. Oh yeah. Oh, shout out to my Milwaukee listeners. <laughs> Go Brewers. <laughs> One moose. Uh, his mother, Marie Rose, is a hairdresser and a stylist. And his father, Frank Lawrence Ruffalo Jr., worked uh, as a construction partner. I do not know what that means. He has two sisters, uh, Tania and Nicole, and a brother, Scott, who has passed away. And we will get into that. Ruffalo attended Catholic and progressive schools throughout his education. He described himself as a happy kid, although he struggled with an undiagnosed dyslexia and ADD well into young adulthood. Wow. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can imagine... That is not an easy thing to go to. A combination of both. Like, right. I mean, there's many, many celebrities. There's even celebrities we've done that have had dyslexia, but in combination with ADD. ADD. And Catholic school. Oof. Yeah. Um, he spent his teen years in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, his father was working there. And he competed in wrestling in junior high and high school in Wisconsin and Virginia. Ruffalo graduated from First Colonial High School in Virginia Beach, where he acted for the Patriot Playhouse. His family then moved to San Diego and then later to Los Angeles. And here's where things get a little complicated. He began taking classes at the Stella Adler Conservatory, which is a very, very famous acting school. And essentially, he didn't want to... Uh, he wasn't sure about his path in life and his parents really pushed him into it. And that was a huge commitment for him. He would have to get up very, very early, get on several buses. You know, now I hear my father talk about it. At the time, he was like, go, you're, you know, you're 18. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to die. And then it won't matter anymore, you know? (laughs) So, so go, go. If you, you know, if you have that in you. Mm-hmm. And you, and it's, I think it's a positive thing, you know, you don't, you're not in college, you're just, you know, smoking weed and surfing. <laughs> I'd love to get you out of the house. <laughs> I started taking the, the train up mm. and it's, it was a two hour drive. We were, mm. we were, we were broke. So I was uh, a bus boy on the nights mm. that I didn't go to school and I'd get up at 
you know, 4.30 in the morning to catch the 5.15 uh, train to L.A. <laughs> I'd roll out of the train, get on a bus from mm -hmm. downtown and mm -hmm. bus it up to Stella Adler in Hollywood, which was crack alley central during that yeah. time. And, um, and then I'd, I'd do that all day. I I'd, I'd had like five classes. And then I would... Uh, take the train back I'd take the bus back down mm -hmm. to Union Square I mean Union Station and uh, drive fly get back I got home like at 1130 mm. you know I think the last bus was like at 1030 so I'd get home at 1130 or like one in the morning but I was couldn't have been more happy in a way mm. the Stella Adler program I believe is either a two or three year program uh, I stayed in that school for for almost seven years <laughs> yeah, I'm just working on my craft now. <laughs> you know, the whole business thing, that's such BS, man. <laughs> and, and I was doing that for a long time. And, uh, you know, I was doing the plays. Uh, and I was really working out a, a craft for myself. Um, I didn't have a lot of confidence, so I, I thought I would rely on a craft in, instead of... Uh, <laughs> instead of confidence. Which is, I think is really indicative of who he is and who he becomes later in life because I think you see that a lot in his acting portrayals. He's a very um, ticky actor. He's yeah. a very, like, you know, comes up with with physical motions that sort of uh, define his characters. You see a lot of um, stuttering work, I would say, in his uh, in his roles. And it, I don't know, I, I find him really fascinating because he is, it's, it's not the same, you know, it's not the, like people always talk about how Brad Pitt acts with food. Right, he always yeah. has food in every scene because it's sort of a crutch. <laughs> I think what's interesting about Mark Ruffalo is he always start. It's, he sees very physical. He starts off with like some physical mannerism and builds the character from there. I don't know if that's actually necessarily the truth but it does seem to come from that right and whether he's playing somebody incredibly suave in like one of the many romantic comedies that been in or someone like the character in spotlight who is very ticky yeah he loves doing like eye work yes and eyebrow work you yeah know? he has not met a furrow of the brow he does not <laughs> like i mean even like in 13 going on 30 he like that character is the thing when you like run your hand through your hair and you're like, I don't know what's going on, guys. That's that character personified, you yeah. know? Like, what? The camera's on me? No, I don't get it. What? Yeah. And, and it's like this humbleness and like kind of, um, I'm shy, but you know, maybe if you got to know me, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. While in California, he co-founds the Orpheus Theater Company. And with that theater company, he writes plays, he directs, and he stars in a number of plays. But he also spends basically 10 years bartending. Wow. Because that's what you do. You know, yeah. you got to make the money to make the dream work. I've seen La La Land. <laughs> Get out. That's what... <laughs> um, oh, you want dated references? <laughs> He makes his first uh, appearance anywhere, like in terms of TV movies, on the CBS Summer Playhouse in 1989. And this is followed by a number of minor roles. But maybe my favorite is his actual big screen debut, which is a very cheap horror movie from the 90s called Mirror Mirror 2. Two? And it's funny because I have 
vivid i had no idea he was in it because i didn't know who he was at the time i have vivid memories of staying up late as like a 12 year old or 13 year old and seeing this movie on cinemax at like 2 a.m and it's scaring the shit out of me gavin you were staying up until 2 a.m when you were 12 years old oh yeah i I mean you know undiagnosed sleep problems whatever dangerous woman (laughs) and and so like i it's so funny because i like i was like oh this film that like kind of scarred me stars this like beautiful man <laughs> is he the star of it no I, but he's he's one of the like main sort of love interest type mm. things it's about this evil mirror and it causes people to like it like kills people but as revenge for this sort of unpopular girl so do you always walk in the girls bedrooms at night uh no not usually but tonight i'm hunting down old ghosts and demons here in a church. <laughs> this place and I, we got a long, long history together. Besides, um, I got some unfinished business here. His first breakout is he's part of the original cast of Kenneth Lonergan's This Is Our Youth in 1996. Oh, wow. Which was recently revived on Broadway with Michael Sarah. My first breakthrough gig in the industry was a, was a little play called um, This Is Our Youth. Uh, that was in New York City. I was an L.A. actor, and I uh, got a part in this play. My cousin Carol Schindler um, came to visit me in my teens. She was an, an actress in New York and a comedian, and uh, she she played with um, Chicago City Limits, which was an act, which was an improv group. And uh, she came with it. her boyfriend, who was Tommy Hinckley, another actor. And they were the coolest people I'd ever met. And I thought, you know, how cool would it be to be, <laughs> to do what they do and to be like them. And uh, yeah, that, that was kind of, that was kind of like the beginning of, well, if, you know, maybe I have a chance at this. It's this chance meeting with Kenneth Lonergan that really, gets him into more major roles because before that he's doing films like the horror movie the dentist and he's in the safe men and he's in angley's ride with the devil very briefly um i kept seeing like posters for the dentist and i was like i don't think so no it's a very small role um so in 2000 he gets his big breakout in kenneth lonergan's first film you can count on me um people loved this performance and he's compared to Marlon Brando. He won awards from the Los Angeles Films Critics Association, the Montreal World Film Festival. That's when he gets this role in The Last Castle. The Last Castle is going to be his big breakout. Which we talked about for Robert Redford. Also during this time, he marries. He marries Sunrise Cogni um, in 2000. And uh, immediately they, they like, he's like, I'm, I'm going to be successful. Let's have kids. Um, so she gets pregnant with her first kid and then tragedy strikes. So after completing the last castle, Mark Ruffalo was diagnosed with a type of brain tumor. She was pregnant. She was, she was, you know, due. Basically, I found out and then our baby was born two weeks later. Our son, Keen. And I, I didn't know what to do. I, I couldn't tell her, you know. You didn't tell her? No. Uh, I didn't know how to tell her without making her afraid. Uh, and so I just waited until after. And I thought, honestly, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> and so when my son was being born, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was very loaded. It was behind his left ear, 
the tumor was found to be benign, but during the, the surgery, he, it left the left side of his face paralyzed, and he lost all hearing in his left ear. Wow. Um, to this day, he is deaf in his left ear, which I don't think anybody knows. I didn't know that. Yeah. And his face, his left side of his face remained paralyzed for a year. Wow. I was looking in the mirror, you know, and I was trying to move my face. Mm-hmm. Just a little. Just something. I was like, baby, <laughs> baby, I can move my face. It's unbelievable, you know? And, and she's like, I showed her, and I'm like, look, look. And she burst out into tears, and we both burst out into tears. And, and, that, and then it just slowly started to come back. He, like, really goes back right into acting he does this small film called xxxy crazy movie yeah crazy movie he does the movie my life without me he does jane campion's in the cut in 2003 eternal sunshine the spotless mind in 2004 we don't live here in 2004 and then he appears in collateral with Mm -hmm. the most ridiculous facial hair um i love that movie but like that's like an interesting time of his career i think because like you can count on me Yes. Small, tenderoni little movie. Um, introducing Rory Culkin? Yes. Such a cutie. Yeah. And very good in the movie. Very good. Um, XXSY, which is a full psychopath movie. Yeah. Um, and like super self. Uh, listen, it's not my one star review, but it almost was because it's very fucking self indulgent because he plays an animator who is like a quote unquote filmmaker essentially who went to Sarah Lawrence and had this fucked up relationship with these two women and whatnot. And it felt like the filmmaker screaming like, yes. this is my story. It did feel like that. Yeah. It was so self-indulgent. There's this, there's a scene where he's like sitting at a cafe and like someone walks by Ooh. and is like, Oh, aren't you a filmmaker? Yes. I want my money back. Are you Coles Burroughs, the, uh, the film director? Uh, yeah, I did a, I did a film a few years ago. I thought I recognized you. I, uh, I saw your picture once in Filmmaker Magazine, uh, and I, I saw your movie. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, really didn't like it very much. Uh, I'm sorry. I was kind of wondering, could I have my money back? <laughs> I hate it. Yeah. And, like, and I was like, what is this here for? Um, but it's all about, like, uh, uh, lying and cheating on right. girlfriends and uh, relationships, blah, 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 blah. Straight people, come on. I thought that the other... The, she's not the lead woman, but, like, the other one... I thought it was Kate Beckinsale, because it looks a lot oh, like her. I think she would like that compliment. I'll she's be beautiful. Yeah, yeah, And I was yeah. like, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe Kate Beckinsale just looked it up. It's not her. Nope. Those movies feel so, like, early aughts reflecting on, like, the 90s. Yeah. And, like, um, not knowing what the, like, new millennium is going to be like, blah, blah, blah. Um, the Last Castle isn't the worst movie I've seen, you know? No, no, it's fine. A perfectly it's, good yeah, TNT yeah. movie. Yes, and that that's 100% what it feels Perfectly like. Perfectly fine for that. But what's funny is on the other side of the coin of, of doing these sort of smaller movies like You Can Count On Me and XXXY and going through this trauma, also the early 2000s is littered with these romantic comedies. Oh my God. And oh it's my- the weirdest thing because like... Listen, we did Jennifer Garner, and I finally watched 13 Going on 30, and I told you I loved it. So I'm not, no backsies on that. Let me tell you, love 13 Going on 30 unabashedly. The role of a lifetime doing thriller dance. Yes. But, view from the top. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, Just like heaven. Okay, yes. Rumor has it, 2005. Did we watch Apartment 12? Oh, I did not. Please tell me about Apartment 12. Apartment 12 feels like an episode of Undressed, (laughs) but like... uh, like that, three episodes. That was high pitched. That was like uh, whistle tones. <laughs> Sorry. It's like three episodes of Undress, like a season long arc <laughs> um, put together in one movie. It's kind of screwball y. Um, it's very, it's almost campy, like almost. Uh, it's about, he's an artist, quote unquote, whose um, artist girlfriend dumps him because she thinks he's trash. He moves into like a shitty apartment. And um, literally the only thing I know about that movie is he takes his shirt off a lot. He does take his shirt off a lot. He looks great. Um, It's funny. Like, I've never seen him play like heartbroken in a um, dumb way. (laughs) Like, and it's this movie's very dumb. But also I was like, I appreciate like the zaniness of it. It's very zany. There's a moment where he like is he thinks his girlfriend wants to get back with him. So he's like running to her with like these balloons with happy faces on it to get to her, to get her place. And she, he sees him, her fucking some other guy. And so he starts like fake crying, like comedy crying, whatever the fuck that is. And then like is punching his happy face balloons and throwing them away. I was like, this is kind of funny. This is like um, the humor of the millennial, like yeah. that, like the zany early millennial shit that I can get behind. I can fuck with. And also, I just love undress, so why not? <laughs> he also, you know, after doing all these. Wait, we have to talk about him and um, uh, Reese, the ghost. Yes. Um Real quick and controversial, uh, any of my old trivia buddies that listen to this show, uh, is Reese a ghost because oh. her body is in a coma oh. or is she just a spirit? Right. So she's the, not a ghost because she's not dead. Yeah. Just to explain to our audience, the most controversial round of trivia that ever occurred at Videology, RIP, in New York City was a round called Ghosts or Not. Okay. And it included pictures from movies in which there were either ghosts or not ghosts. Okay. This was one of them. And the determination was not a ghost. Not a ghost. And everybody was very upset. This and Ghost Dad. Why were people upset? She's not a ghost. I, I just said it, but like now that you've said, like she's not dead. She's. <clears throat> you know, you'll have to take it up with videology trivia of 2014. <laughs> it's, I mean, the movie is very silly, Billy. Yeah. Um, don't watch it, really. Yeah, and I did. I didn't hate it. Like it's fine. It's not. E- no, it's not fine. It's it's but worse it, than fine. Yeah, and I felt bad for both of them because they also had to be that. Like the third build person in this movie was John Hader, Napoleon Dynamite himself. Yes, and no, I when I watched, it, I was like, wow, he really was riding Napoleon Dynamite oh, high while absolutely. he could. Absolutely, huh? absolutely. And this is a year after thir- thirteen going on thirty. Yes, which is pure homophobia because like you can't top thirteen going on thirty <laughs> as far as like a romantic comedy goes. Um, and so nice fucking try, just like heaven. Nice try. Rumor has it. Rumor has it. it ugh, I've also a strong one star contender. <laughs> uh, but also in you know after after coming off of 
the uh, rumor has it in 2006. He stars in Clifford Odette's Awake and Sing at the Blasco Theater on Broadway. And um, he gets nominated for a Tony for Best Featured Actor in a Play. Wow. Shame on you, Pop. Everybody knows war is necessary. Don't make me laugh. Ask me the first time you pull a dead one out of a trench. Then you learn war ain't so damn necessary. Say, you should kick for the rest of your life Uncle Sam pays you 90 a month. <laughs> Not a care in the world. Uncle Sam can take his 70 a month and... <laughs> Nothing good hurts. 2007, he does Zodiac, which mm. is, uh, if it, uh, it's long, but if you haven't seen it, so fucking good. I've and never seen it. He's very good. Did you? Did I, you, I watched yeah. it for this. Um, it's available on Netflix right now. Yeah, I, w- I will say maybe the star of that movie is Jake Gyllenhaal, and he really sort of steals a lot yeah. of the, but. I, I mean, the star of that movie is the San Francisco Chronicle, first of all. <laughs> Shout out to my homies back at the Cron. Um, I did that thing where you're, I, I was like, okay, that that is the building, the outside. But inside, I was like, that is not the inside of the building. That is not even our elevators. That lobby was luxurious. Not my lobby, Penny. I, I, I cannot wait to do the same thing when I watch Bombshell. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but Zodiac is very good. And... Uh, so chilling and yeah i uh, there's some scary scenes in that movie i can't believe they didn't catch ted cruz <laughs> somebody's gonna get him someday <laughs> um in 2008 he like returns to sort of starring roles which is not to say that he's not starring in zodiac but he, sh- he sort of shares the spotlight right in 2008 he does the brothers bloom with agent brody and rachel vice which we both watched for the rachel yeah. vice episode um and then he co-stars with julianne moore in blindness the less said about that, okay, the better. So I I didn't finish Brothers Bloom for Rachel Vice. I did for this episode. And I was like, this movie is not good. But Shut your mouth. I, I rewatched it and I gained an even better appreciation. But I was like, it. but it knows what it's doing and yeah. it has a point of view. And I was like, this is so silly. It finishes, cut to black, directed by Ryan Johnson. And I was like... I had just seen Knives Out the day before, and I was like, this same energy is Knives Out. Yeah, absolutely. Also in 2008 does What Doesn't Kill You with Ethan Hawke and Amanda Peet, which is a a movie where he plays a Bostonite, and it's co-written by Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Co-starring an accent. Yes. Co-starring accent work by Amanda Peet. (laughs) In 2009, he... He really only does one movie in 2009. It's very brief. He's in Where the Wild Things Are. Mm-hmm. And he plays the the new boyfriend of Max's mother. In 2010, he does Shutter Island for Scorsese. I did not rewatch that. I remember watching yeah, it. Yeah, I've seen youth. it before. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, yeah. I didn't feel I didn't feel compelled to rewatch. If we ever do a Leo episode, I'll rewatch it. In 2010, he does Lisa Cholodenko's The Kids Are All Right, which, as you said, I think is what he's most well known for. He plays the sperm donor to two lesbians, uh, played by Annette Benning and Julianne Moore. Uh, he their son's name is Laser. Yes, <laughs> they have two children, both by him. Um, the children decide they want to contact him. He comes into their life. Sorry, sometimes I mistake silence for criticism. I wasn't criticizing you. No, no, I just, you know, sometimes Nick can be a little critical because she's a perfectionist. Well, I don't see why you take it that way. I think uh, you're really talented. Really? Really. Listen, I rewatched The Kids Are All Right. Another movie I gained a new appreciation for, I think when I watched it back in 2010, I was a little like, uh, it's still a movie in which... 
literally takes no time for him to convert a lesbian. Yeah, truly. It, it, I, I didn't rewatch it, but I remember thinking, like, is their relationship so, like, fraught that... Right, and I, and I don't feel like there's enough background information given to make... There's, there's, like, that brief moment of her being, like, maybe cool it on the line, and she's, like, cool it on the micromanaging. There's There's not a ton to be, like... Oh, wow. And maybe that's a failure of giving background to these two women. But also, Julianne Moore shares two scenes with Mark Ruffalo before she makes out with him. Yeah. Yeah. I I like the movie, but it's very... uh, A little too tidy. Yes. It it feels like an awards movie. And And I feel bad saying that because something like this is clearly a passion project of the director. But it still was... Yeah. A little glossier than I think it, it needed to be. Uh, but he does get an Academy Award nomination for that for Best Supporting Actor, as mm-hmm. we mentioned. 2012 comes around. The Avengers. Hello. His good friend, Joss Whedon's all like, ring, ring. Eddie Norton doesn't want to play with us. <laughs> Mark, please come be my Hulk. Honestly, it's very good casting. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's better casting than Edward Norton. I'll be perfectly honest. Yeah. Uh, I think Edward Norton has the slight thin look mm-hmm. that you probably want when you contrast it with the Hulk. But I think the mannerisms and the shyness and the nice guyness yeah. um, that Mark Ruffalo projects is the sort of thing you want for Banner. This is going to be a uh, Mark Ruffalo has that crow magnon man look yes okay and that's not like me being a bitch no like we've already we've said he's very sexy he's very hot but it's like he has that like just you know really uh protruding like those eyebrows that forehead and he is like you 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 buy that he's this gentle giant like he i mean and you see that like mostly on display in um thor ragnarok yeah i mean uh I, I, I buy him very much so as our Hulk. And it, and it helps that, like, he's not... Because, like, Eric Bana, especially, who, like, is, like, ripped, Mark Ruffalo is not. Yeah. He's also still in these Marvel movies. He's done so many. You know, he appears in Age of Ultron, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Infinity War, and Endgame. He also cameos in Iron Man 3 and Captain Marvel. He's making bank off these. But also, just briefly before that, and I, I do want to bring this up because I think it's sort of important to understand who he is. In 2010, he does he directs his first film, his only film that he's directed to date. It's a movie called Sympathy for Delicious. It's written by a good friend of his that he went to acting school with. Now, I haven't mentioned some of his peers at acting school before, but you would recognize their names. Uh, I believe they're uh, Benicio Del Toro and Selma Hayek. Wow. Yeah, so he knew these people from acting school. But he says he's told the story a couple different times. There was this actor there named Christopher Thornton, and he said he was better than any of them. He just really got everything. And while they were there at school, he got into a climbing accident, and it left him a paraplegic. Oh, shit. Five years into his um, accident, we were, um, he, he decided he was going to start writing because he knew that all the great parts for a guy in a wheelchair were going to go to a guy who walks to his limo at the end of the day after they call rap. And so he started pitching me ideas for scripts. And um, it was around the fifth anniversary of his fall, which we would um, commemorate by having lunch together. And uh, it was a particularly hard time for him. 
I'd seen him go through faith, he, go to faith healers to try and get a healing. And he was saying to me, I, I don't, I can't live with this. I, I just don't think I can do it. And I can't, I don't, I can't integrate this into my life. And um, I said something to him like, um, well, you might want to hit me in the crotch for this, but maybe there's a gift in this for you. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe out of this tragedy, something good has happened. Because I knew you before, and I know you now, and who you are now is just so much bigger and stronger and inspiring. And um, I was out of that conversation. That then that same day, he pitched me this idea of um, a guy in a, in a wheelchair who gets to gift to heal, but he can't heal himself. And I said, that's, that's, a great, that's a great log line. Write that one. Christopher Thornton goes on to write this screenplay, Sympathy for Del- Delicious, and plays the lead character, and Mark Ruffalo de- directs it. He's also in the film. And it's this film about a paraplegic who receives the gift of healing for some reason, uh, whether it be faith or whatnot. And Mark Ruffalo plays this priest in it who essentially starts to... Uh, misuse this power Mm. and it's a movie about temptation and and longing and it's not it's not good but it's interesting i almost wish mark ruffalo hadn't directed it there's a lot of first time director mistakes and i can see the brighter spots of christopher thornton's script i wish it gone through a couple more drafts there's something that happens at the end of the movie that is so lifetime schmaltzy like i was just like oh guys come on but I love the fact that he did this for this friend and that he was basically like, I want to direct. I'm passionate enough about this right. project that I want to direct it. Um, and at that point in his career, he could do whatever he wanted. Yeah. So he took serious time off to direct this film. In 2014, he does a television film. Yes. It's called The Normal Heart. Ever heard of her? Yeah. It's Larry Kramer's AIDS era play. He plays Ned Weeks, which is essentially a fictionalized version of Larry Kramer himself. I watched it. I had not seen it before, which may make me a bad queer person, but I don't like Ryan Murphy. Who does? And I think my fears for the way that he directs a movie were absolutely confirmed. I think Ryan Murphy has never seen a cover of the inquirer he didn't like Mm. and therefore took this script that has a lot of really strong messages and a lot of really strong meaning and and these delicate speeches and made them all very like turn them up to 11 right you know i mean it's so i'm glad we're talking about this because i do think that mark ruffalo has a tendency to really indulge in melodrama sometimes yes and i think that is ryan murphy's bread and butter you know, he, he loves the spectacle of acting. I think without, like, a very good, um, like, rudder on Mark, sometimes he, like, those ticks. then, especially if, like, you give him a speech and just let him yeah. run for the wind, like, he really starts, like, it's like the seams start showing, you know? It's yeah. like, oh, I see you acting now. And sometimes I wish he would be a little bit more sensitive or um, controlled. Um, and I think, like... The thing that comes straight to mind is that fucking scene in Spotlight. We'll take it to Ben when I say it's time. It's time, Robbie. It's time. 
They knew, and they let it happen to kids. Okay? It could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been any of us. We got to nail these scumbags. We got to show people that nobody can get away with this. Not a priest or a cardinal or a freaking pope. When I watched Foxcatcher, I was like, oh, here he's... Um, he didn't do it. And I was like, I was yeah. glad. I was like, the, the, that entire movie, I'd never seen it before. I'd never seen it before either. Um, and I thought, oh, wow. Like, whoever directed this was really, you know, had tight reins on the vision on, on everyone. Because I was worried. I was like, okay, he's going to have some big, you know, right. moment or a thing. But it never happened. And I was like, oh, good. You know, um, because I think in uh, lesser hands, he is oft want to, you know. Yeah the grandstand and and chew some scenery which um i don't know i i it's it's a little too much the he did say of the normal heart um quote i've never had so sincere and vulnerable a response from people for anything i've ever done and of everything that i've done since i've been on social media which hasn't been that long by the way i haven't had such an overwhelmingly positive response as i have from the normal heart directly to me and it's a blessing, man. If this is it, if I had a piano dropped on me tomorrow, then I would go down thinking, you know what? I did okay so far in my career, as far as my career goes, because that's a gift. That's rare. I do, I do understand that. And I, and I don't, also choosing my words carefully, I don't hate the performance, but I feel exactly the same way that you do. Right. I mean, Listen, the play is incredible. Mm. Uh, it, it is, a, a, you know, one. it's an important document of a yeah. time in which yeah. I I know it probably feels to some people like, why do we want to keep revisiting this? It's it's a bad time. It's important. It's important that we know what went on. Yeah, and it's it's one of like the great American texts, um, especially so specific to that time. And listen, if you want to fucking like getting some feelings and cry your face off, you'll do that in this, like, yeah. it's impossible to watch this movie, read the play, and not, um, you know, just, like, ball your fucking face off. Agreeing that you were born just the same as I was born isn't gonna save your dying friends. That is exactly what is going to save my dying friends! You make it sound like I'm the enemy! I am beginning to think that you and your straight world are our enemy. I am furious with you! And every goddamn doctor who made me feel it was sick to love a man. I am trying to understand why nobody gives a shit that we're dying! Five million dollars for a house? We can't even get 27 cents from the city? I know 43 guys who have died and you say it's my cause, not yours? You still think I'm sick? I simply cannot allow it for one single second longer! I will not speak to you again until you accept me as your equal! Your healthy equal! Your brother! I can say that everyone commits really 100% to it, but it it just feels a little bit like they were trying yeah. to do the most. Some of like the intimacy is lost. Yeah. Um, it's really unfortunate, too, because I think, especially for um, Julia Roberts' character, mm -hmm. there's a subtlety that's missing there. Because yeah. that character, I think, is a difficult character to portray in a way... That is both understandable to the audience and still um, human and not an archetype. And I feel the way that she was directed really pushes her towards that more inhuman um, area, which is, you know, but that's Ryan Murphy. So 
So in the same year, he also does Foxcatcher, aforementioned, and he receives his second Academy Award nomination for the portrayal of wrestler Dave Schultz. Uh, Putting his wrestling um, yeah. path to good use. Absolutely. Looking great in a singlet. I know. That movie was kind of more thrilling than I thought it was going to be. Oh, I was kind of, I thought it was a bit of a yawn. I liked him. And I actually, I liked, I liked everybody. And I really thought I was not going to like Steve Carell because of the makeup. Me too. I thought I was going to be like, ugh, but yeah, he's. I mean, it got me more, more, more thinking about, like, man, Steve Carell, when he wants to, yeah, um, can do the thing. And Channing Tatum. I think Channing Tatum's really excellent in that movie. Yeah. And what I most appreciated, it, it didn't go off the rails. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's already, like, an incredible and psycho story. It, it's, in the reverse of what I said about Ryan Murphy, it is a tabloid story. Mm-hmm. And it should, be, like, you would think that it would be more exploitative, and it's not. It's not at yeah. all. I want... More than anything, to win a gold medal. And we have someone who could do that. Oh, we're going to win a gold medal, John. How, how, how are you feeling? About, I feel very good about it. I'm a little concerned that there are some psychological issues that we need to take care of. Uh, I think he's going to be in real good shape. Well, I think you're doing a great job. Thank you, John. And I think that with... You and I, working in tandem. If we can't get him there, no one can. But yeah, that ending shook me. Yeah. Um, in 2015, he stars as a father of two with bipolar disorder in Infinitely Polar Bear. He got a Golden Globe nomination for that. In the same year, he plays Michael Resendez, the journalist, um, at the center of the film Spotlight, which he receives an Academy Award nomination and a BAFTA Award nomination. You talked a bit about Spotlight. You know, He's, it's the most showy. Yeah role of the movie i remember seeing it in the theater and thinking that and was and was like a, actually a little put off by his performance well because it's it's you know when you compare him you got michael keaton um rich mcadams brian darcy james and then you have mark ruffalo and the first three of them are very like inward right and it's like and, tight and we, and we did a full episode of michael keaton if yeah. you want to go back and listen to that so and then you go to mark ruffalo and he's stomping around and yelling and i mean it, it's he's doing the thing it's he's doing the thing ask tammy brown he's uh, yeah, acting acting <laughs> and it's crazy because i mean especially against rachel mcadams who also got nominated that year and I think really well deserved because she is like such a delicate, like person in that movie. She's so, and, and I don't mean the character. I mean like her acting is so delicate and sensitive. Yeah. Ugh, a dream. And that sort of brings us to now. I mean, that's his last big performance. Um, yeah, but, but that's I mean, literally the rest of the time probably was just spent doing Marvel things. Mar- exactly. And that's and that's sort of what he's doing now is Marvel movies. As you mentioned before, he sort of alternates in between. So for every, like, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which was early on in his career, we're gonna get, like, you know, a Hulk Planet Hulk. You know? Right. But, and it's wild because it feels like right now with Dark Waters it, it's, he's like, okay, I have, I, I finally finished all my Marvel things for yeah. now. I can do this you know it's it'll be interesting to see like where he goes um from there in terms of his personal life i mentioned his wife sunrise his first child was born in 2001 his name is keen and he also has two daughters bella noche born in 2005 and odette born in 2007 i think odette is the cutest little name absolutely 
Uh, I didn't bring this up in the middle of it because I thought that this might be really weird to uh, bring up in the middle of things. Um, on December 1st of 2008, Mark Ruffalo's younger brother, Scott, was found dead outside of his home uh, on North Palm Drive in Los Angeles with an execution-style bullet wound in his head. Uh, Scott Ruffalo died the following week. The case currently remains unsolved. Um, in 2014, Mark Ruffalo said to CBS Sunday Morning, it will probably remain one of life's great mysteries. This was a very traumatic thing for Mark Ruffalo. His brother was a, was a very popular hairdresser. He said when the first moved to Los Angeles. Everybody knew him as Scott's older brother. He was very well known, very well liked. Um, he said his performance in The Kids Are All Right is the closest he's ever gotten to being Scott. I didn't know if I would ever act again. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't, but I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this part of my life for a while. And I knew going into it that that was going to be what it was. Mm -hmm. And I had such a good time. You modeled your character in The Kids Are All Right. On your brother. Yeah. Yeah, because he was this incredibly beautiful, sexy, vibrant, uh, fun-loving guy. You know, who, he, he devoured life, you know. Yeah. So that was a gift to him and to you in a way. Yeah, and it was a way for me to, you know, say thank you to him. I can only imagine what it does. Obviously, Mark was an adult when this happened, but, like, it just... It's tragic. It's so tragic to have yeah. a, a mysterious death in your family in a way and like completely unsolved. And, and you know, to have it be an execution style bullet to the head, like that's uh, very scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what to say about it. It's just a, uh, it's, it, it almost feels like unreal. Like, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it doesn't sound like it should be part of his story. No, but it is. Um, and obviously that, that drove, uh, the way that he, I, I feel like the way that he externalizes his emotions a lot and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Obviously like it informs certain stuff about him and, but he's been very open about it. Um, yeah. Crazy. Between, like, that and the tumor thing, like, when I found those out, I was like, Jesus Christ, what has yeah. Mark Ruffalo not been through? Right. But speaking of what he has not been through, let's talk about politics. Oh, honey. Oh, yes, you are in for a ride. So Mark Ruffalo is basically, like, he is as liberal as they come. He is pro-choice um, on the issue saying, I don't want to turn back the hands of time to when women shuttled across state lines in the thick of the night to resolve an unwanted pregnancy in a cheap hotel room. Yeah. Uh, he's very supportive of the LGBT community. He's also just like the greenest person I don't yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, didn't he, I mean, and this is not, like he's famous for anti-fracking. Yep. Wasn't he like always in like upstate New York picketing and writing and doing all sorts of things? Uh, Fun, fun fact, Dan Walver's mother has met. What? Dan's mother works for the Tukini Tacony Frankfurt Watershed Conservancy. She's the TTF's executive director. He like came down to talk about creek health and water supplies and whatnot. So she got a chance to meet him. He actually like went all over Pennsylvania um, to hold screenings of the documentary Gasland, yeah. just to, you know, as an anti-fracking thing. He said that while he was doing that, 
Um, he was placed on a terror advisory list. The Department of Homeland Security has denied such a thing as happening. Why would they, like, admit it? Right, exactly. Um, also, isn't he one of few celebrities who is, like, an active Tumblr user and, like, uses Tumblr, like, almost exclusively to be like, um, pollution, yeah, hi. Big Obama supporter, big against George W. Bush, clearly against Trump, and recently just came out in support of Bernie Sanders. I, I mean, not shocking not to shocking. anyone at all. He's and, Bernie's uh, VP. But, yeah. The one person that, that just keeps uh, coming up to me and popping out to me is Bernie Sanders. But I like the fact that he is so open about his beliefs and he's in a point in his career where he basically doesn't give a shit about if those beliefs will cost him work. Yeah. And I'm sure it has. I mean, Dark Waters is clearly a passion project because um, that movie is full of speeches, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I think he's led a really fascinating career. I think he's very outspoken and very interesting. I do completely agree with you that he's definitely one for the rafters. It's interesting because it's not the same. I know I bring up Ewan McGregor a lot, but I feel like he's the most overactor we've had, we've talked about <laughs> on the show. Uh, he's not the same as Ewan McGregor. It's interesting. Yeah. But they both have a tendency to overplay. Yeah. But Ewan McGregor's like playing to the back of the amphitheater and and I think Mark Ruffalo just thinks like if he gets loud, you'll understand the point. Yeah, and and it sucks because like both of them are so good when they're able to be quiet yeah. and like get to the thing. And um, I think they're both very like emotional actors. And I think when you are very emotional, sometimes you kind of like unleash. And if you are not, you know, like a Viola Davis type who can unleash but still be in control yeah it just feels like sloppy doppy what <laughs> what an instrument she has i know and i know we did a whole episode on her but like seriously yeah and 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 so i with him sometimes like oh just tighten it up tighten yeah. it all up like find more interesting takes than like loud absolutely so i think that brings us to our picks why don't we start with our one star reviews My one-star review goes to 2008's What Doesn't Kill You. Um, here's what I want to say. I love Mark Ruffalo when he's, like, my boyfriend. I love him when he's, like, nice and cute and, you know, being fun. What I don't like him is when he's, like, a mob gangster person who, like, does smack and neglects his kids. Right. You know? I just... A, don't buy it. Right. B, in this movie, he does the thing where he's like, what if it's me? What if this is me? I can't change. And I was like, okay. <laughs> well, I guess Mark Ruffalo is now addicted to heroin and he's never going to get better. His his brother played by um, Ethan, Ethan Hawke. Explain to me the genetics there. Oh, wait, maybe they're not brothers. Are they brothers? No, they are. Okay. Yeah. Um, It's... You, you, it's, it's not even a good TNT movie, is what right. I'll say. Uh, it, the, the movie is mostly told via like a narration from him, um, in flashback, I think, I guess is what you would say. Cause the movie starts with them robbing a, um, an armored car. And then it's like, well, my brother always told me to learn from the streets is never rob an armored car. And then we'll start from the very beginning. Um, yeah, and and it, it's like think of any generic Boston mob movie. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, you know, 
Things are hard. And listen, if you've got a Boston Mob movie script and you somehow can't attract the attention of Ben Affleck. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Hello? (laughs) Matt Damon's not busy, okay? Like... He probably is, actually. He's making every movie ever, but yeah. he's telling women they can't be teachers or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is such like a miscast, misfire thing. I mean, don't even get me started on Miss Amanda Peet. Yeah. Who, you know, she deserves better. I like, I was going to say, I like Amanda Peet, and I feel like constantly she's in, in need of, she's, she's, you know, she's the Judy Greer if Judy Greer didn't exist. And that's how I feel about Amanda Peet. Yeah. Um... I, I don't really want to, I mean, the, the plot doesn't matter. Well, this is, that's the crazy thing. I also watched this movie, right? And I agree. I think it's definitely a one-star review. So, so you know, I cannot tell you what the main plot of this movie is because it was just a jumble of, and what makes it even worse is it's supposedly a true story, story yeah. of another actor who's in the film who co-wrote it with Donnie Wahlberg. It's, I mean, it's basically, you know, these two guys, they work for a mobster, um, beating up guys who owe money, stealing dogs or some shit. Yeah. Um, and they're like, this is bullshit. I want more for myself, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the main thing is like, it's hard going on the straight and narrow in Southside Boston or whatever the fuck they are. Because they are poor. Yeah. Because there are no jobs. The economy sucks. Blah, 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 whatever. And so that is what's pushing these men to do bad things and leave their families behind. And so, like, there's, they're trying to make an argument about, like, the economics of, you know, um, the decisions one makes, um, to go into the life of crime. And I guess there's a movie in there somewhere, but it's one, he's unconvincing in this character. Um, Mostly because it's fucking Mark Ruffalo. He's, right. I don't, shooting up and like getting high and, you know, yelling at other mobsters about what he wants and yelling at his wife about he's just the way he is and he can't help it. Do you think because I'm, I'm, I'm sober? They're gonna start sending me out of loops! When are you gonna listen to me? Get off! What do you want me to when say? When are you gonna realize your kids need a father? This is who I am! It's who I am! Yeah, go ahead, run. That's what you do best. It's who I am! Land the door, too! Yeah, that's... It's all a mishmash. It's like there's like this tension between him as a human being and then this movie. Um, And I also think... I like Ethan Hawke a lot, but he's... I think they were really trying to go for like the training day thing, you know? I was going to say, Ethan Hawke has played this role so many times that he really showed up to sleepwalk through it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Oh my god, I took your catchphrase. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's training day light wannabe, but it's called What Doesn't Kill You 2008 and is a snoozer. Uh, So my one-star review is 2013's Begin Again. Mm. So this is a film directed by John Carney, who directed two really good movies around it. Uh, one, a little film called Once. Yes. Yeah. And then Sing Street afterwards. Which I love. Yeah. <laughs> also, big fan of Sing Street. So I don't know. I don't really understand what happened with this film, other than John Carney was obsessed with recapturing that once feeling. Yeah. Essentially, Mark Ruffalo plays this like down on his luck record producer the company that he co-founded doesn't have any faith in him because he's not brought any new artists in he's also divorcing his wife uh who's played by Catherine keener uh he has this daughter played by Haley steinfeld who's like 
addressing all provocative, even though she's young. And he hears Kira Knightley in a club perform a song. She's an independent singer-songwriter who just got out of a relationship with Adam Levine, who's a musician blowing up. And... He wears vests. Uh, he wears vests, exactly. The movie has, like, some magical realism things going yeah. on in it. Like, he's, like, wasted at the bar. He looks over at Kira. Who's, like, playing an acoustic guitar, but she's on a stage full of instruments. Yeah. And they all start playing themselves. And it's like, oh, he's discovering her. What right. could be? Oh, my goodness. This broken girl. Exactly. And so he hears this song, and he decides he wants to sign her to his label uh, she doesn't even have a demo because she's wild and crazy and free. Oh, no, no. And her thing is like, oh, well, like my boyfriend was the one who was like right. the famous one, and he's he's like the star. I'm just like, I right. don't know, like an entry in like a journal. Right? Yeah, exactly. I just want to. I just I don't want to write songs for stadiums. Yeah. I want to write songs for singing them alone on my back porch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen Coyote Ugly. Yeah, and so he decides. You know, fuck my record label. They don't want to sign you because we don't have anything. Why don't we record an entire album just around New York City? In the streets. And bring fucking James Corden along with us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Let me get to Ruffalo. Uh, He should be able to do this role. This is a very simple role for him. You know, he's, he's like... A bad guy who's not that bad. Mm -hmm. Like, he's, like, strung out and kind of lazy and doesn't know what he wants out of life. And he has this ex-wife who he still kind of has a thing for. But there's also this manic pixie dream girl in the form of Kara Knightley who he also has a thing for. And there's no drama to this character at all because even the threat of him losing his job doesn't seem like it's going to be bad for him right he's like a bit of an alcoholic maybe he does seem to drink a little too much but like nothing in his life is going so bad it's the weirdest thing because you're asked you're being asked to root for a character who like i I didn't think he was rootable like it's it's he's the 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 crux of it is like oh, oh uh, my dream of art is like you know it's it's gotten too big and like it's so corporate and right. like the the beauty of music has been lost in this corporate bullshit man also tell me if i'm wrong does he not have crazy hair in this movie he does have crazy hair in the movie actually i kind of like it song's good it's you standing up there like a tomboy and i, I don't mean to be offensive but don't you think that looks a little passé really Seriously, we get you a look and a killer video, and you go straight to the top. I'm thinking Nora Jones, singer-songwriter thing at a piano, or the Cardigans, back in the day when they when they first came to America. Maybe the Deborah Harry, a male band behind you. What? You find that amusing? No, I'm sorry. Something went down the wrong way. Whoa. Sorry. No, you were saying me with a cardigan on Nora Jones so I went back into my records because I have records from the last like six years of every movie I've seen um, for the first time and I watched this in 2015 and I gave it one star back then so I I knew but I remember the first scene that he's in he's like naked in bed or in his underwear in bed and I was like oh this movie's gonna be great that was that was that was a plot a yeah, ploy exactly throw you off the trail and here's here's the thing you're right he has his his story arc is there's not enough art in this world and he's discovered this piece of art and he really wants to produce it and put it out in the world the the problem is is th- in terms of Kira Knightley's music in the film 
I don't think the division line between what she's putting out versus the like poppy stuff that she's co-written with Adam Levine is far enough. And there's this moment at the end, just not to talk about Ruffalo, but to bring it where she's like told Adam Levine that she wants him to sing the song or she goes to one of his shows and he starts singing the song the way that she orchestrated it. And suddenly the crowd starts reacting and get into it. And it slowly becomes a pop anthem. Um, and and she realizes, like, that's who Adam Levine is. He's always going to play for the crowd, and he's not going to play for her and whatnot. And I couldn't tell the difference between the arrangements of the songs. And I know music. Gavin, this is A Star is Born. Holy shit. Yeah. This yeah. is Allie on SNL. Right. With fucking Jackson Maine being like, Ugh. Right. Real art. <laughs> but, but, the, but in this scenario, you're supposed to follow the Jackson Maine character and be like, well, he's right. Yeah. Oh, no, they sullied the art. Yeah. And I don't... I just think this movie is problematic all around. I don't think it's particularly well-written. I don't I don't think there's any... Like, like literally... At some point, Mark Ruffalo just contacts CeeLo Green, who he's yeah. friends with. Yeah. And... and gets money and and so i never i never feel like there's a struggle for this character and part of that is this character supposed to have been in the business for years but he's also supposed to be so far removed from the business that he shouldn't be able to call in a millionaire to just give throw money at him well what's wild also is though a big part of this movie is just kind of like um it's like New York porn, right? right? It's like, uh-oh, the danger of recording on the subway? Wild. Who would have thought we could make musical history? <laughs> we're on the boats in Prospect Park? Oh, my goodness. Right. Somebody, we're on a, the, the building, we're on a building, and somebody's yelling at us to shut off our music. Yeah, like, and, and can you imagine, as an editor, coming back and listening to the tape of that and being like, wow, guys, you were right. Fucking recording music out in the wilderness really does just kick it up. <laughs> My favorite thing is there's a scene where they decide to record in an alley and these kids who are clearly not actors, but like Mark Ruffalo pay- is going to pay them $5 each and give them a, a, one cigarette um, to get them to stop. But then he's also like, do you sing? And he has them sing on the song. And guess what? These five kids in an alley who are just playing in basketball sing perfect harmony magical yeah children. just wonderful harmony and it's and it's just i don't understand i do, like there's no there's not this isn't a film it's not a film no and it makes me so mad and and to top everything off and i know this is not a mark ruffalo discussion but john carney went on during press for sing street to talk about how essentially the problem would begin again is Karen knightley he said he would never work with a supermodel again even though she spent her entire life acting and he said that adam levine was such a natural actor and that she couldn't play against him and everything he since apologized for these things and Karen knightley was asked about it once and her response was like i'm not surprised we didn't get along and and i think that's very diplomatic of her i um, can i am mouth agape she's and I'll be honest, re- having rewatched this film, because I wasn't going to rewatch it. I was going to pick something else as my one-star review. I was like, I've seen it. I don't need to put myself through it again. But I did it. Rewatching again, she's actually one of the only things that makes the movie she's worth watching. She's a great actress. Yeah. I think she's a great actress. Mark Ruffalo's a great actor. Like, Adam Levine's a good singer. Like, <laughs> Is he, though? <laughs> he can sing. It's fine. <laughs> I, have, I have nothing against him in Maroon 5. Um, his song at the end of Sing Street, oh, so good. But I, 
That fucking sucks, though, because I really like Sing Street. I really like Once. Yeah. But this guy sounds like a dick. Mm-hmm. I'm, like I said, he's since apologized. But I also just can't imagine bad-mouthing. Uh, and honestly, it just feels like he set out to remake Once, you know, recapture that success. Yeah. It didn't happen. And he couldn't figure out a person to blame. You know what? It's your script. Yeah, just say, it's- you know what? It didn't work. Right. Even if you don't want to take full responsibility, which you fucking should, just be like, it didn't work for a lot of reasons, and, you know, we're moving on. Right. Whatever. Like, that's such a shitty thing to fucking say, and it makes me really sad because he's a talented filmmaker. He is. He is. Or a songwriter as well. Yeah. And, um, wow, that just ruined my fucking day. I'm leaving. (laughs) I'm sorry. Was there anything else you saw that you didn't particularly like? Let's see, shall we? I really hated Infinitely Polar Bear. Um, I have to say, I don't think there's a problem with his performance. Uh, I just think it is, it was the filmmaker's story. Mm -hmm. I think there's no way of saying this that that doesn't come off as impolite, but some stories just don't need to be made into movies. And I think her story is interesting because uh, part of her story about the fact that she's an interracial child and growing up in a time in which, you know, that is... A lot less common and a lot, you know, I'm sure that was very difficult. But honestly, this bipolar character that Mark Ruffalo plays is mostly a decent father who slightly embarrassed them a couple of times. It's the weirdest thing because I was just like, oh, well, we've all had bad instances with our dads. (laughs) And so I was just like, okay, like he's like a moderately not great parent, Mm -hmm. but like. Our parents fuck us all up. Yeah. So like, that's what they're there for. So I don't know. I, I was really, I watched that movie was like, oh, okay. <laughs> when I got to the end. Um, I didn't like Brothers Bloom. Sorry about it. Yeah. That's okay. Sorry, but not sorry. I, I love his performance in Brothers Bloom. So I thought maybe I'm just reacting to Adrian Brody. It almost felt like they should have switched characters, which is funny. Because originally they were cast in the opposite characters. Hello? And, and Mark Ruffalo was the one who convinced Ryan Johnson to switch them. I just don't believe Adrian Brody as a, like, yeah. soft boy. Yeah. You know? Like, no. I actually, I do agree with you there. I w- and I would love to see it. Uh, you'd love to see it. I thought the Now You See movies are very, like... <sighs> There's something he's doing in the... I don't remember him doing it in the first... I saw the first movie in the theater... Uh, but in this, I watched the second movie and there's something he's doing where he's like lowering his voice, I think to sound a little more manly. And it's such, it's such a choice. Yeah. This is so much deeper than you know, boss. You think you're looking at one thing, but you have no idea. Who are you? Same man I've always been. It's hard to watch those movies. I mean, I, I rewatched the first one and it's supposed to be like selling you on like the mystery of magic and all this, blah, blah, blah. But it's very hard to watch a movie about magic when there's clearly so much CGI going on. Yeah. I'm like, huh. Oh, yeah. The second movie's even worse. The, like, card trick thing with, like, I was just like... No. Yeah. No. No. Rumor has it was going to be my one-star review because it's a nothing character mm. for him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a bad movie all around. And the other one I wanted to mention was All the King's Men, which he's only in for, like, half an hour. So I couldn't... But But, like, that movie is two hours long and it's so like literally that movie is like but what if we sided with the nazi like and it's like did do you did you not read this like it's like populism 101 and i was like 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 stop trying to make me feel bad for sean penn's character he's a bad this is a bad guy yeah he's the bad guy um yeah but i think i think that mostly wraps up right our one star reviews why don't we get into our five star reviews 
ready to fight, Gavin? <laughs> I actually really liked Infinity Polar Bear. Oh, um, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. So it's it, it was interesting to hear you talk about like the story itself. So it, yeah, this the filmmaker Maya Forbes. Um, she wrote and directed it. Um, starts uh, stars Mark Ruffalo as this father who has manic depression. Um, is it manic depression? Well, I mean, that's what they what, what they called it at the time. It you know was uh, he he has know, a, he's bipolar. Yeah, but you know that the 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 nomenclature has changed. Yeah, and, absolutely. And in the movie, he kind of mentions like whatever they're fucking calling it. Blah, blah. Yeah. Um, his wife is played by Zoe Saldana, and who's great? Who's great? And then the most interesting thing, or one of the most interesting things, is the two daughters. One of them is played by the filmmaker's daughter. Yes. Um, and I think the kids are very good. And you know how much I hate kid actors. Yeah, no. And I, th- I thought they were good, too, actually. Um, so. And so, uh, I did, you're right. I didn't get the sense that, like, this is a dangerous man. Um, but I did feel the fear of, like, not knowing how their father was going to be. Right. And I did think, because, like, I was talking about, or we've mentioned him being very big, I thought this was, like, a really good opportunity for him. And he, like, and he's, he delivered. This role has some big moments. Yeah. But it didn't feel like he was reaching. And it didn't feel like he was overplaying it. And I think it's because he was able to cut it with this love for these children. Because I I don't think there are scary moments. I, like, these kids are in danger, but there are scary moments of like, this man might hurt himself. Um, and he might not, you know, uh, their, their, their story essentially is that they are poor. Yeah. Um, uh, their kids are, they're inter- interracial couple, um, a relationship. Their kids are biracial. One of them, the older one looks more white than black. And there's yeah. a, like a really great scene. And that, let see if there was, I think, and I, I feel bad because I know that's not the story she wanted to tell or, or just apparently was not the story she wanted to tell. But like, that's the stuff that I, I was like, yes, please talk about this because it can't be easy. Right. And it's, I think I was also just taken with how they're in Boston, right? Yeah. Yes. They're in Boston. Yeah. Zoe Saldana wants to move to New York because that's the only place where she can get work after going to law school. Well, at the beginning of it, it's just her wanting to go to school at all. Right. Um, there's a long time where they're away from Mark Ruffalo's character. He's in, you know, hospital. Yeah. Um, and they, then, and then in a halfway house. Yeah. And they're, the kids really want them to get back together. Um, Zoe Saldana is really, you know, uh, cautious. She knows that her husband loves them, but like, this is not ready to like live with him yet. Um, but they slowly are kind of reconciling and she decides, you know, we need more money. We're not going to make it. Decides to go to law school. And I also thought it was so interesting, like, the character he plays, his parents are, like, mega wealthy. Yeah. Or his family comes from money, um, but he's not getting really much support from them. And and you get a sense part of that might be because of his illness. Um, And part of it might be because of who he married. Yeah. And, And so... I was taken with just like the specificity of the story. You don't see stories exploring. Right. You know, uh, you do get mental illness stories, but I thought this was such a small little like chunk of that. And um, the interracial, and, and this is like in the seventies. Yeah. Um, and I just loved the kids and the way he, 
he plays really he's a really good dad like i think yeah. he plays that really well like i said I, none of it was the performance i just didn't understand and and maybe it's because you know i i have i had a very specific relationship with my father and i it's not that and i just don't i don't know it i i, I didn't connect with it it's not it's not the the actor's fault um well, I, I just I think it's interesting because I have a friend who will always say like she again this is crazy but she was like oh I thought Lady Bird is boring it's like oh it's just like a white girl who like is having problems with her mom before she goes to school like we all go through that whatever who cares and like what the fuck <laughs> like yeah I, I mean I think there's like a universality of like seeing uh you know families and even if like I have like I don't know the struggle I don't know the struggle of you know being in an um biracial and you know having a family member who went through any type of like crisis like this or dealing with illness like this but i do think at like some cellular level it's like on like you like you said like of parents who fuck you up uh, the struggle of of, a loved one who's going to spend time away from a family to try and better the family as a whole uh and I, through this lens in particular, I thought it was very striking. And on top of that, I thought um, it was a really good showcase for Mark Ruffalo's best talents. Because yes. he's able to, like, be sexy and funny with his wife and the kids. But then also, there are some scary moments where he clearly isn't in his right mind. Yeah. And is um, maybe d- a danger to himself. You are so mean! I am not your servant! No! God damn it! I'm the servant! All I do is cook for you and clean and then drive you around and take care of your every goddamn name. You treat me like the goddamn maid. I gotta get out of here. Come on. Come on. Come on. We don't have a babysitter. You don't need a babysitter. But it's nighttime. We get scared. Faith, you get scared. Then you need to toughen up. What is there to be scared of? Wolves, vampires? Rapists. Rapists. If a rapist knocks, don't let him in. You kick them in the balls. There are also moments where he's he's kind of childlike. Right. He's like, well, fine. Like, you guys do whatever you want to do, and I don't get to do what I want to do. Like, and he's fighting with his kids as if he's a child. Um, and I thought, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that role is easy to play. But uh, the speech he gives about like, my daughter's black. No, she's black. You're black, and my daughter's black, and that's just the end of it. And I was like. And then that moment, I was like, oh, my God, they probably cast these beautiful people, you know, in this role where, like, they were not as beautiful and in a really hard time. Um, right. And I don't know. It all just felt very emotional to me thinking about, like, the filmmaker who had to literally talk to her daughter saying, like, okay. Yeah. I I can't imagine that. Like, yeah. I don't know. It felt really special to me. Um, but, yeah. That's, I don't know. I mean, I, you, you've. You talk a good game, Rendon, uh, but I, I still don't think I love it as much as you did, unfortunately. But that's the only reason we do this show, right? What do you love? So I love, and I, I hate doing this because I think it's never fair to give a one-star review or five-star review to such early performance because I think if you give it to a one-star review, it's like obviously they're going to get better. And if you give it to a five-star review, you're basically feels like you're saying nothing else has been as good. I don't think that's true, but I think 2000s, you can count on me is such a personal 
such a, a a deep snapshot. And it's so funny, too, because I think I connected to You Can Count On Me in a way that you connected to Infinitely Polar Bear. You Can Count On Me is Kenneth Lonergan's first film. Um, people, I think a lot of people know him mostly by Manchester by the Sea. Um, Mark Ruffalo did go on to do the movie Margaret with him as well. But Mark Ruffalo plays this fuck-up brother of Laura Linney. Their parents die in a car crash when yeah. they're kids. Yeah. And so they basically only had each other. Laura Linney goddess yes. on this planet oh my god she stays in the small town she marries the wrong guy yeah uh has a kid with him he splits um you know she's working essentially just to to keep her life going with this kid she works at a bank she works at a bank for matthew broderick yeah um who's the worst manager and i kind of love this performance from it's matthew really broderick. good yeah and it's in a small catskill mountains town Mark Ruffalo calls her out of the blue. It's like, I'm coming to town. He basically wants to come for like a couple days so he can borrow money. Mm-hmm. He's a fuck up. He's traveled around. He was in jail for a little bit. He was in Alaska for a while. Uh, same thing. I don't know why I said it twice. No. Um, sorry, Alaskan listeners. I apologize. He uh, also was... There's like a girl involved. Right? Yeah. And like he's fucking up this relationship with a girl. Um, but essentially he makes his way back home. Yeah, he makes his way back home and sort of inserts himself into Laura Linney's life. And the thing is, is like, she's not perfect. She treats her eight-year-old son like he's this weird adult person that she doesn't, she doesn't relate to him, but she's also super duper protective. Yeah, she treats him like, at the same time, like a four-year-old. Yeah, she, yeah, she's, he's like a four-year-old who also has like all the responsibilities of a full-grown human yeah which is a crazy thing to do especially like as an emotional support to her right because she's very uh, it's it's worth noting she's she has a fuck buddy essentially and this guy who's very boring and she knows he's very boring but like she wants a human connection right exactly and uh john tenney plays him who's you know from tv um and uh yeah, and you know she she starts having an affair with Matthew Broderick, her married boss, who she hates and who has a baby on the way. But they have like really great like hate sex. Yeah, exactly. Mark Ruffalo breezes into town, and the the thing that I love about his performance is what whatever is his issue is not defined, mm-hmm. but he is clearly suffering on some level. May it be the trauma from the fact they lost his parents so young. May it be from some of the drugs he's doing. And they never really, like, they, like, he gets high, but he's clearly, like, on some other stuff as well. Right. And he's this free spirit. You know, he doesn't really know how to get along with this kid. He, you know, he keeps putting uh, Rory Culkin who plays uh, Laura Linney's son in these situations where he's like, you can't tell your mom. Yeah. Um, She's also super religious. um, And the, the uh, priest in the movie is actually played by Kenneth Lonergan himself, um, which I thought was actually a really great performance. I love this dynamic between him and Laura Linney as this guy who like, wants to do the right thing and is constantly making the wrong choice and this woman who wants to do the right thing and is constantly making the wrong choice right but those wrong choices aren't the same wrong choices well it's funny because i think a lot of this movie like depends on this idea of 
Laura Linney's character just stayed behind. Yeah. You know, there's a lot in this movie. She tells Matthew Broderick's character, like, oh, well, the town's not that bad. We've got things going on here. And she's trying to, like, it's almost like she's convincing herself. And he, he, you know, I wouldn't say he breezes in. I think he fucking, like, wrecking balls the her entire life in that town. He's not afraid to be loud. He's not afraid to be like, fuck this place. This place sucks. Um, he's not gentle with the kid. No. Um, he's moody. He, you know, it takes him to do, uh, like, he, it's very much that cool uncle who will, like, let you down. Yeah. And, um, and he will let, like, and that's the thing. And I, I like the fact that this movie, this movie is, it's a small movie. It's a small slice of life, but it's about complicated people. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing is sometimes you don't have to give the most complicated plot in a film if your characters are already complex and they feel real and they they will break your heart. I mean, that scene at the end of the movie, I'm not going to say what happens, but there's a great scene at the end of the movie where there's this confrontation between Mark Ruffalo and her. And it's maybe some of the best, like I, I kind of Lonergan is great and, and everybody loves his stuff, but like, I don't know. It's maybe some of his best writing, in my opinion. And I really, I genuinely really thought I would find a, a better performance. And I do think he's been in, Mark Ruffalo has been in really great movies and has been really great in things and he deserves all the nominations he got. But this perform, I get why this was the thing. That broke him through. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's interesting because in this movie, he's also like an infinity polar bear. Yeah. plays very, like, he can be such a fucking child. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Like, there are moments where he's like, fine, fuck you. Like, and when he's, right. he's getting into it with fucking um, little Culkin kid. Right. And I'm just like, it's, he's able to, and that's part of his acting superpowers. He's able to uh, vacillate between like being uh, charming and getting away with, you know, maybe more than he should. And then going full, like, fuck this. I don't need this. Like, throwing a tantrum um and you are able he has that thing where you're able to forgive him you know he comes back around and he's like oh sorry whatever uh yeah the movie is so special though it's it, uh, it really is i just love also you don't see a lot of like brother sister stories yeah and I, and i think i think that's what's so tender about it too because they also sort of fall into these old habits that they seem to have I think she's wanted nothing more in her life to be his sister. Mm -hmm. And instead, she had to be his parent. Yeah. And I think he has wanted nothing more than to be this child, to be, to have his parents back and like to be parented. I was in jail for a little while. You were what? I, I served a little time, I guess, down in Florida. It's just for, it's for bullshit. What? It was for bullshit. What did you do? I didn't do anything. Does it occur to you that maybe I was wrong? No. Well, oh would you my please God. let me please let me tell you what happened? What happened? I got into a fight in a bar down in Florida, which I was not the one who instigated it at all. But then it worked up all this bullshit against me, and they threw me in the pen for three months. And I didn't write you because I didn't want you to get all upset about it. I just figured that you would figure I was on the road for a little while. It was stupid. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you worry. But you want to know what? I can't run around doing stuff or not doing stuff because it's going to make you worry. Because then I come back here, I tell you about my fucking traumas, and I get this wounded little I've let you down bullshit over and over again. It just cramps me. I just want to get out from under it. But he also resists that at every turn because he is 
you know, stunted in a way. This trauma of losing their parents so young that really pushed her towards religion and really forced her to, like, maintain herself in her life and pushed him out into the world to go explore. Right. Really messed them up in ways that they never coped with. Any person who's left home, you know, and this last family at home will, will connect with that and um, immediately feel like the pangs inside of you, like, fuck, I should go home more often. Right, right. Or like, it, like, you know, oh, fuck, my, I do have cousins and sisters or who or whatever still at home who are, you know, toiling away. It, it, I mean, I, we both just went home for the holidays. Maybe you guys at home also went home for the holidays and it's, you get that weird thing of like, oh, life has continued here without me. Right. And uh, it's different, but the same. And at, at and that, it's and it's so weird how different and the same it is. Yeah. And sometimes you feel seduced by how easy it is because it's your hometown. But then like by day three, you're like resenting it <laughs> and like, get me the fuck out of here. And it's a very complicated uh minefield of emotions and i think the movie just does a really good job of exploring all that so very good pick up uh before we move on uh into our fast forward was there anything else that you saw that you loved i do really want and i know i i we already got a brief call for this um from a listener i do want to mention in the cut uh in the cut is a movie he did with meg ryan it's a jane campion film it was super poorly received when it came out it's a very sexually charged film essentially it's it's almost like meg ryan it's almost like a a looking for mr good bar thing where there's a serial killer in town and meg ryan seems to be she's an english teacher but she's also circling this person's orbit at the same time mark ruffalo plays a cop that is hunting for this serial killer and the thing that i think makes the movie interesting is there's so many of these psychosexual thrillers out there that are really focused on the crime and the thing that's happening and what this movie is actually about is a woman who likes dangerous sex who's into like something that she doesn't she's never quite coped with mark ruffalo is this very sexually aggressive man that comes into her life you know talks about cunnilingus performs analingus on her and it's this type of movie that never focuses on the characters. And this one's like, no, this serial killer plot, while important, is going to remain firmly in the background for 90% of this movie. And you're going to have to deal with the fact that these are real people who have real wants and real needs. And Jennifer Jason Lee's in the movie as mm. well. And she plays uh, Meg Ryan's sister. And like, I was just fascinated by this movie because I was watching it and I, I, you know, 15 minutes in, I really understood. I was like, oh, I get it. And I I just looked at all these reviews that just hated it. And it's so funny because you just want to be like, you don't get it. You Mm -hmm. don't like, why don't you, you know? Right. And and I don't know. I found it really. It's a really fascinating character study. And also, Mark Ruffalo is fucking hot in it. He is full frontal. You get Uh-oh. to see peen. Um, and uh, I'm a child. And uh, he, it's, he's one of the only two Avengers that do full frontal. And it's him and Scarlett Johansson. Wow. Um, and yeah. Uh, I don't know. I I really liked in the cut. Um, I would. I only didn't give it my five star review because. I don't think he's the centerpiece of the movie, even though he's very sexy and very a little scary and, Uh-oh. and but also like really erotic and charged and yeah. 
Speaking of erotic and charged, um, I, I just have to again throw out thirteen hundred and thirty. It's weirdly erotically charged. Uh, Maddie, we're doing thriller. Um, <laughs> he's clearly not the same. But like, there is no better proto nice guy yeah. boyfriend character than him in this movie. And um, yeah, it, it's so um, pleasant and it's it's com- it's the comfort food movie. Yeah, and he is. Uh, uh, the like him and Jennifer Garner are just like America's mom and dad and I just want them to hug me. Yeah. You wanna know a secret? Yeah. You're the sweetest guy I've ever known. Weirdly enough, does not perform analingus on know, Jennifer Garner. No. Thirteen going on thirty. It's so maybe crazy. it's on the cutting room floor. Yeah, yeah. And the the Blu-ray extra <laughs> exactly. um, director's cut, if you will. Yes. Should we do our mixed reviews review? Yeah. So my one star review was 2013's Begin Again. Mine was 2008's What Doesn't Kill You. And my five star review was 2000's You Can Count On Me. Mine was 2014's Infinitely Polar Bear. All right. So now we're in the fast forward. I have to say... Dark Water is out now. It's finally released wide. It's been out in New York City, I want to say, for a week. I went and saw it. Did you happen to see it? I have it? not. I want to. And it's, so here's the funny thing. I It played at the... Tra- the trailer played when I went to go see Pain and Glory. And I immediately was like, oh, I don't want to see this. But then, like, as the trailer kept going, and you know how I'm a sucker for journalism movies... And it kept going, and like it finally ended, and I looked over at Derek, and I was like, "Oh, fine, <laughs> you got me." Um, so I do want to see it. I, the, the The concept of it seems very um, interesting to me. It's scary, I will admit. In it's a, scary. In a, well, in a real world way. Oh no! Because it's like the truth. It's the truth, and the truth is scary. It's had Todd Haynes not been involved as director, I think it would be a bad movie. Mm. I'll be honest. The facts in it are very good. It's clearly a passion project for Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. And that's what's the thing is it's very, you know, it's about poison in the water. Mm -hmm. It's about Teflon. And like, I mean, there's a scene in the middle of the movie that's one of those big, like, speechy scenes that explains everything that's going on. And I totally get why Todd Haynes wanted to make it at that point because it feels very Todd Haynesy for, but I don't know. I don't think, you know, other than the facts, I don't think it's a very good script. I think poor Anne Hathaway. I was going to say, what is she doing there? She's she's there just to make speeches. And it's funny because, you know, the movie takes place over the course of 15 years. Uh, but the speeches, based on what year it is, are either, I'm going to support you or I'm going to yell at you. And, like, <laughs> and that's it. That's and, it. and it makes me so mad because Todd Haynes is such a good women's director. Yeah. And to not recognize these weaknesses in the script you know and it's funny too because there's this undercurrent in the movie about sexism in in the law like Anne Hathaway's character is a former lawyer who got out of the business because she had kids and there's another um, legal associate that works with Mark Ruffalo who uh, you find out she's pregnant later on in the movie and then it cut like when it cuts to like seven or eight years from then she's like talking and she's like, maybe I'll make partner this year. And you get the idea that like, Oh, she didn't, she hasn't made partner cause she had a kid. Right. And I think that stuff's great. And like, but it's so minimal. 
And honestly, once again, the information is important. Everybody should know that DuPont, you know, quote unquote, has been poisoning everybody. Every 99% of people have the, these, uh, these things in our bodies that we can't break down that right. have just become part of us. Um, DuPont, Foxcatcher, Murderer. Exactly. Wow. Um, and so... Mark Ruffalo's mission in life is to take down, down DuPont, DuPont through his movie making. <laughs> we crack the code. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I, I can't say it's a great movie, which is really unfortunate. Um, I do think he's good in it. I know, and I think Anne Hathaway handles what she's given in it but right. I, I it's hard you know they can fight you all they want it doesn't take away from what you've done of course it does that's exactly what it does they want to show the world it's no use fighting look everybody even he can't crack the maze and he's helped build it the system is rigged they want us to think it'll protect us but that's a lie we protect us we do Nobody else. He gained like weight for it, right? Yeah, it feels like a very baity. I, w- I will say girl. this: this is, and not because he gained weight, but like he's constantly making these like squ- squat faces and kind of, and it's weird because I would say this is maybe one of the most unattractive roles he's ever been. But then they show you the guy he's playing at the end of the movie. You find out he's actually in a scene earlier in the film, and I was like, oh, what? That guy doesn't look bad. And so I was like, wait a second. Like, Is this what? Mark being like, I wonder if I'm going to rough it up. Yeah, exactly. I was like, and also you can definitely tell why they got Anne Hathaway to play his wife. Because his wife looks like a real housewife. But Really? Yeah, yeah. Very pretty. But I was like, well, Mark, this is not very nice of you. Well, he just wanted to stretch a little bit after Marvel. Uh, you know? Yeah, exactly. Do a little... I don't know if this is going to be... I know it's award season. I don't know if this movie is going to garner the attention it thinks it's going to garner. Once again, important. Like, I don't know. It's one of those... I get why people want to do dramatized versions of these things because not enough people go out and see documentaries. Um, but... Yeah, this is not it. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I I gave it three stars. You know, it's it's good. It's passable, but it I don't I but it's not it. Yeah, it's not it. Post this though, ten thousand more Marvel movies. Yes, there's been there's been rumors that uh, since they're planning a She Hulk show, that he might for Disney Plus that he might show up on the She Hulk show. As a way to sort of like introduce her, introduce her, but also get out of the Marvel movies, mm. uh, which I mean, I don't necessarily blame him. You know, he's been he's been doing it off and on for almost ten years, uh, right? I mean, they're they all are gonna, you know, I'm sure they'll all find a way to get out of their Marvel things to do. They're, they're you know, they're they're getting older, and I do not um, knock them for it. No, I mean, you you put in a decade, it's yeah. Um, on his IMDb page, it says he's also got um, Newsflash coming out, uh, which is about uh, Walter Cogkite reporting live about JFK's assassination. He plays Don Hewitt. Oh! Um, and there is allegedly a What If um, episode for Disney Plus yes. that he'll be playing the Hulk on. Which is animated, so he'll be providing the voice. Oh, I didn't know it was animated. Yeah, good for him. Also, I know this much is true. I forgot. I forgot about this movie. Um, it's a TV series. Oh, TV show. I forgot about this TV show. <laughs> um, with Melissa Leo and Juliette Lewis. 
and Rosie O'Donnell. And Catherine Hahn. Oh my goodness. And Archie Punjabi. Not not to mention Imogen Poots. <laughs> How could we ever forget Imogen Poots? Um like this. <laughs> uh, I I think it'd be very interesting just to like he he plays twins in the show, I believe. I think that's the big draw mm. is that he he plays Dominic Birdsley and his uh, paranoid schizophrenic twin brother, Thomas. I would love so one. I would love for him to time warp out of Hulk as fast as he can. Yeah, I think like, he's put in the hard yards. Yeah, I think he, he's great in it. I just don't need to see any more of it, um, especially when I think there are a lot more. Um, characters and stories to tell within the Marvel universe that do not need to include him. Um, but also just to free him. I think he's so much, uh, there's still so much left for him to do, you know, I, especially now that he's out of his like romantic comedy, uh, you know, young, uh, gentleman collar days. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I would just love for him. Like he's made a lot of these movies where he's like, uh Oh, cheating. I would just love for him to be in dramas now as this actor who it feels like he's like kind of learned a little bit more about um, what he's really good at. Um, and I would just love to see him free of Marvel yeah. and um, kind of have more time to do things. I mean, like, like spotlight, which I thought was a, I liked that movie a lot. Um, but maybe with other more interesting directors, like, I mean, even him as Hulk with Taika Waititi, like, I think there has to be something to be said about Taika and his direction freeing him right. to be silly and goofy. Um, Which I think then really informs his later performances in the Avengers movies. Absolutely. You, know? you have the melodrama that was his character in Age of Ultron versus the sort of like sillier Hulk that eventually ends up in Infinity War and Endgame. That you don't get without Taika Waititi's force yeah. behind Ragnarok. Yeah, and so it's funny. Um, do you think like his performance in Dark Waters was affected by Todd Haynes? I mean, yes and no. I think there. Is, I think he does a little bit of those highs that we don't like. Mm-hmm. The sort of like I'm yelling because this is important, but I do think there are beautiful moments of restraint. And, and like, unhingedness. There, there's this great scene that occurs in the middle where he's, like, going through. Anne Hathaway wakes up in the middle of the night and she thinks he's, like, a burglar because he's, like, tearing apart their kitchen. Because he's, ner- like, he's, like, everything's killing us. Wow. Which is very Todd Haynesy. Um, You know, it, it feels like the first time Todd Haynes has sort of revisited safe. But, like. I was going to say, yeah. I was like, it's safe. Yeah, but in the modern era. I think, that, you know, it's, like. 75% of a great performance that yeah. Todd Haynes has been able to sort of, uh, you know, be like, hey, let's <laughs> let's take it down a notch. But I do think there's that Ruffalo, like, ah, mm-hmm. that's, that's there, you know. I just wish, like, because I want more char- things to, for him to be charming in. Yeah. Like, I want him to be flirtatious. Right. I want him to, like, but, but I want him to, I want him to be charming in, like, and I... He doesn't have to make, like you said, you know, it doesn't have to be the boyfriend. Doesn't He doesn't have to make, like, a new 13 going on 30. But also, I want him to be charming in a way that's not, like, a now you see me. Because, right. admittedly, those roles are, like, a charm offensive, but they're just, like, in a terrible movie. Yeah. You know? But I, 
it makes me think of like you know the movies that brad pitt does you know now like brad pitt is either doing like big think you know yeah things or i'm thinking of like him in um oceans 11 where he's just like basically you know giving a wink wink and like eating a peach seductively or whatever um i want that yeah for mr ruffalo you know (laughs) for some reason doing saying that mark ruffalo could totally do uh It'd be a little bit of a stretch, but I don't I don't mind seeing him stretch a bit. But uh, like a Brad Pitt and Burn After Reading, the mm, Coen mm-hmm. Brothers film, the like sort of idiot like like what if he was like in a Wes Anderson movie? Or, yeah, like I and again like leaning on his, his like Cro Magnon ness, right? You know, I yeah, I think there's a lot of. Um, interesting fun places for him still to go because even in um we didn't talk a lot about uh the kids are all right right him in that movie super like his shirt like open down to like right. his belly button he's like casually fucking his like co-workers that that is yaya from america's next top model yep penny um take that tyra <laughs> um and she's just pr- actually pretty and she's good great. Movie. Yeah, that level and that brand. I mean, yeah. that movie is fully just him. You know, and I, and I don't, and I almost don't feel like he's he's really got a chance to play that range. And part of that is maybe because he's been doing these Marvel movies where he has to do this one very specific thing. And then, uh, like you said, on the other hand, he's like, oh, I need these awards movies, so he's doing you know the spotlights and his you know because even. You know, I would say his character in Zodiac is very subdued and not, you know, yeah. he has his moments, but like they're, they feel real and he's a very real character in that movie. And, and that, I feel like that's not the Mark Ruffalo you, you get very often, you know, because right. he's been stuck in this Marvel movie. Once again, this is not a shitting on all Marvel movies, but no. Marvel does have a very specific mold that they put there, you know. Right. I mean, it's like the Disney machine, which yeah. is like, it is good for one thing yeah. and like make your checks, live your life. Yeah. But I, you know, like apartment 12, he's zany and yeah. weird. And I would love for him to, you know, go back and try and do more of that. Um, and I think there's so many places and opportunities now to make content. Yeah. Um, why not? You know, and and honestly, and this is selfish of me, I haven't seen him on the stage, but I'd love to see him yeah. do another, you know, play at some point. Yeah. God, he's so good. He really is. Mm. I guess that's it for Mark Ruffalo. We're just like sighing, thinking of yeah. him now. Like, uh, America's boyfriend, Mark, Bru- Mark Ruffalo. Truly, think of someone like a better boyfriend than Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> we don't. You I can't, can't. I can't. You can't. No. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Maybe this is what you came for. <laughs> But anyways, enough about Mark. Thank you for your service, Mark. Thank you for your service, Mark. Uh, you can find us, our show, The Mixed Reviews, online on Twitter at, at The Mixed Reviews. We're on Facebook. Just type in The Mixed Reviews. Uh, you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. We're at the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to rate and review us, you can go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a nice five-star review, and tell us what you think about the show. Uh, Be nice. We're nice to you. And, you know, maybe Mark Ruffalo will show up at your house with some flowers and candy or something. If he's America's boyfriend... I'm at least bed boyfriend. You, that's what I've heard about. Uh-huh. <laughs> Zing! 
Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, we hope you have an amazing week, and we'll be back soon with actually some holiday cheer. Some holiday cheer. Have some fun um, eggnog and um, cookies for us, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Good night. Bye. This land is your land. This land is And we'll see you Saturday for the march. Thanks a lot. Good night. <laughs>